With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome again to another episode of the Underdog Podcast where we talk G5 football and only G5 football for Underdog Dynasty. Here's another Sunbelt episode coming to you. Adam Luckett here, your main guy at the Underdog Dynasty site for all Sunbelt things. And today, basically, when you listen to this pod, we're gonna be it's gonna be about a week away from Sunbelt Media Day there in New Orleans, a two-day event where all the teams will be represented by coaches and two student athletes, where we'll pretty much get to hear um, the, the coaches talk for the first time in a while and some of the students and athletes talk. And uh, we'll be, get to find out a little bit about each team. And so we're just going to give you a primer here of what to expect on Sunbelt Media Day and uh, some predictions for, uh, for what, where we think the teams are going to be slotted. But first, I've, we've got a guest, Brian Stone, today. He's a main, uh, our main Georgia Southern guy at the site. We're going to talk about pretty much the Tyson Summers era and where that is to date. Um, a lot of things have gone on there in Statesboro. Brian, welcome to the show, my man. Yeah, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. No problem. Um, let's just first start off. Let's start off at the beginning. Um, Willie Fritz leaves to go to Tulane. And a coaching search um, is on in Statesboro. Was Summers the number one candidate, or was there a guy or multiple guys that the fan base kind of are that administrator kind of wanted before him. He was definitely not the main guy. Uh, he came out of nowhere really to, to take the job. Uh, from what I remember, the job came down to, um, Brent Pry, the defensive coordinator for Penn state. Okay. Tony Gibson was the defensive coordinator for West Virginia. He was in the mix. And uh, Jamie Chadwell, who at that time was Charleston Southern's head coach, he's now the head coach in waiting, I believe, at Coastal Carolina. Right. Um, And those were the three names that were kicking around. Personally, I think we had had such a good run under Willie Fritz that I wanted Chadwell because he had head coaching experience under his belt, and I thought he was a good fit. They kind of run that spot. They kind of ran that spread uh, option that we kind of run with a little more passing, which I always felt like is something that was that was needed. But Summers really just came out of nowhere. Like I, I really don't remember hearing his name at all, and then all of a sudden one day, I get a message from uh, the other Georgia Southern guy, Hayston Willis, just shoots me like a Slack message and is like, "Hey, by the way, uh, Titus and Summers got hired," and I'm like, "Who is that?" And, and so, like, that's kind of when we started doing, like, the deep dive about, like, his time at UCF as the defensive coordinator under George O'Leary. Uh, he spent one year under um, the Colorado State head coach. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, was the – oh, Mike Bobo. Okay. Um, and he really hasn't had that much experience as even a coordinator. Um, he really only has maybe a few years under his belt as a coordinator before getting bumped up. So it was really, it was really a huge upset for him to even be hired to uh, be the head coach. Yeah, he was kind of kind of a curveball. Um, not something most, most people were expecting. 
But in that search, was did the option and picking a coach that would run the option, did that come up a bunch? Was that like a big talking point, or were, was the school trying? Do you think trying to move away from the option, maybe look for somebody that more had had a more modern day offense? Because Summers came in, and if I'm not wrong, he said he was going to run the option, but he brought in two coordinators. I mean, Rance Gillespie and help me out with the other guys. David Dean, is that right? David Dean, yeah. Yeah, and they just really didn't have any history running the option. So, like you said, those three candidates, none of those other than Chadwell, I don't believe any of those had any experience with the option. So just talk us through that and what were the, what was the administration really looking for? Because I know the fan base, with all of Georgia Southern success, it's come with running that option offense. Yeah, see, I don't really know what the thinking was. I think with Fritz leaving, the big the big point they wanted was they wanted a guy who felt like they who could stick around for like multiple years, and with Fritz only sticking around for two years, which we can get into this if you want, you can add, you know we can talk about it later. He really ended up using a loophole in his contract to get out and to go to Tulane, but he but with Fritz only lasting two years, I felt like what they really wanted was a guy that they knew. Maybe for sure, but just felt like he wasn't going to use this as a springboard job and and try to immediately leave for somewhere else. But I, as far as the option goes, we ever since George Southern fans are going to hate me for even saying this dude's name, Brian Van Gorder was the head coach in 2006. Mm-hmm. And Hasten wrote a thing maybe two or three years ago that was talking about his year coaching and what a disaster it was. They went 3-8. and eight, He got fired or he immediately quit after the season. He didn't run the option. He had no no idea really what he was doing. He misused some really good players that we had at the time. And ever since then, it's pretty much been like, if you come here, you need to run some form of the option. And Jeff Munkin came here in 2010, which was my freshman year at Georgia Southern, ran the, the straight-up triple option that Navy would run, or Army runs now. And he had a lot of success there were, there, his last year was kind of a down year, and he left for Army. And then Fritz came in and kind of ran more of this Auburn-type spread option offense. So the option has always been, at least since 2006 and the, the Van Gorder year, it's really been like a focus. So I don't think they were trying to move away from that. I think they wanted someone, like I said, I think the big focus was they wanted someone who they felt like would stick around for multiple years instead of just trying to use this as to, as a, to get to his next job. Yeah, I totally get that. Arkansas State found themselves in a similar situation there. Three years in a row, they had Gus Malzahn, Hugh Freeze, and Brian Harson, and each of them was like one and done coach there. So they hired they they've kind of got lucky with Blake Anderson. No one's really come to scoop him for whatever reason, and now I believe it'll be his fourth season in Jonesboro. So I totally get that. But going away from somebody that is just so much different than, you know, what they've had success with. I mean, the last time they hired a defensive head coach was Van Gorder. Mm-hmm. So then they go and hire Summers. That just hindsight's twenty twenty. It's easy to say, why did they do that? But uh, Van Gorder, I mean, he's been a mess. You know, ask Notre Dame fans about him from last season and then ask Auburn fans about him and Gene Chizik's last year. Right. He's had a history of his units not – are looking like they do not know what they're they're doing. Let's just go. Summers is hired. Let's get into the era. Let's talk about this season. They went five and seven, looking like they were going to go four and eight, but scored a big upset on against Troy on uh, the first weekend in December. What went wrong for Summers and the Eagles 
Did they ever? Did, was it a good start, bad start? I mean, what really happened? I think I think you would get you would have gotten a shorter answer out of me if you'd asked what went right. It was it was one of those things where, okay, so they start off with Savannah State, which is an FCS team or whatever, and when you you play a team like Savannah State, you kind of know what you're getting. You're not getting a super competitive game. You're kind of getting breather to open the season. But even Savannah State, there was just something they didn't look right. And it, it could be a thing where they had to adjust to a new head coach or, or what what have you. They just never seemed to quite click or look like they had like offensive consistency. But they were playing a team that was so bad, that, or you know, the talent level was so much lower that you just could you couldn't really complain. So the the first two games of the year, they I believe it was South Alabama and ULM, uh, Louisiana Monroe, and they kind of squeaked out two wins against those two teams mm-hmm. and it again it was just one of those things the team never quite looked right it, it was one of those things where it was like you're biting your nails the whole time against the team against teams that you typically weren't before when like Fritz was the head coach so really when it all when it all started falling apart was the Arkansas State game they beat Arkansas State in the turnover battle I believe it was five to nothing yeah that was a Wednesday night game on ESPN if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so it was a it was a plus five in the turnover margin. Still found a way to lose. Yeah, that was when, that was when the Rebels were really or were reeling really bad. They were zero and four. They were really searching for a, a W. I remember watching that game. I mean, they really tried to give it away to Georgia Southern, and they just it felt like the whole game Georgia Southern should have been up by seventeen to twenty one points, but Arkansas State just kind of hung around. Yeah, and it was it was one of those things where they all they had multiple chances to put them away. They had multiple chances to win it. They end up allowing a conversion on, I think it was like 4th and 18 or something like that. And then Arkansas State just walks down the field and, and scores, and that's the end of the game. But it was just, it was a spiral. I mean, it was terrible. We had a bunch of losses pile up, obviously. Tom Kleinlein, the athletic director, and I've, I've ragged on him multiple times about this, so like anybody that follows me on Twitter or like reads my stuff, he decided halfway through that he had enough of the criticism and just completely made his Twitter private to people who weren't following him before and basically wasn't allowing new followers to either read his tweets or tweet at him. So that was a bad look on top of everything. They keep reeling off losses. This is one of my pet peeves, and I I kind of mentioned this in some of my stuff. Like When they would ask Summers questions after games his answers were like that coach speak oh well you know we just had to go out and make more plays than the other team okay that's fine when you're like nine and three like you can get away with that when you're four and eight it just makes it seem like you have no idea what the problem is or how to fix it right so so he keeps doing that and it really starts to tick people off and basically they just they were just bad all year until they play Ole Miss they kind of get their act together toward the end of the season. And people are like, hey, you know, they played well against Ole Miss. Maybe maybe there's some hope here. And it's just, it, it was a it was a mess up until they played Troy. And then even then it was, it was uh, you know, people were saying that the, the quarterback was the one calling the plays during the game, that he was ignoring the offensive coordinators. Like all this other stuff, like we, none, of, none of which we can, you know, obviously corroborate or verify. But it was just one of those things where it just seemed like the whole game against Troy, it seemed like they were playing a completely different style of football than than the football they had been playing up to that point. 
So, so it was just, it was a weird situation all around. It was a weird season. And then obviously, you know, now we're dealing with the, the fallout from that with, you know, the, the lawsuit and everything else. So, yeah, when you look back on the schedule, this team lost games that had no business losing. Like Georgia State, they let a kind of a sorry offense with at Louisiana that was pretty one dimensional hang up 33 points on them in Statesboro. They had a big game at home against Appalachian State and got rocked. It just seems that nothing went right for the Summers era. So what So what did he do at the end of the season? I'm guessing he fired both, or that's what they told us. Is they, and then he brings in a guy by the name of Brian Cook who worked for Paul Johnson there at Georgia Tech and is going to come in. And I'm, I'm, He says he's going to run more stuff out of the gun, but at Georgia Tech it was strictly under center, kind of a flex bone offense. Yeah. If you could just kind of explain what's going on with this lawsuit and what 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 is – the AD saying about that is he being weird about it or whatnot? Have they had the school said anything since the accusations came out? Their official stance on it is that they can't can't comment on ongoing investigations or ongoing lawsuits or pending lawsuits. Basically, they have they have like no answer for this. I feel like it's because they're just they're caught with their you know hand in the cookie jar, so to speak. There's just no way to there's no way to spin it to make it seem like it was something it wasn't. So I'm very interested to see how it all works out, but it just doesn't seem like something that these guys would just make up off the top of their head, and it seems like something that's very easy to prove. So I'm very interested to see how this all plays out. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I'm not really sure what's going to go on with there. I think I read both both Dean and Gillespie are no longer in college coaching. I think they're both at the high school level now or something. Yeah. So, I mean, pretty much Tyson the summer's hired – Looking like now, he hired two high school coaches to run his offense. I mean, that's... Well, Gillespie, for sure, was... He came from Valdosta High School. And some people said that him and Dean were tight, and Dean, you know, specifically asked that he be brought on so that he could, you know, try to catch on at the at the collegiate level. Dean had been a successful head coach for Valdosta State, won a couple national titles at the D2 level, and things like that. So he at least had the resume, and it made a little bit of sense why they brought him on. But Gillespie was completely out of left field. He also worked under uh, Chris Hatcher, who who was the head coach for Georgia Southern for maybe a year or two at the most. Uh-huh. And and the only thing he's known for is throwing bubble screens to like no end. So <laughs> so not a great not the greatest thing to be known for. But he got brought on to they both got brought on, and the offense was just. A disaster. I mean, it was they had a they had a running back in Matt Breida who had run for you know fourteen hundred yards the past two years, ran for like six hundred last year. So I mean, it was just they had no idea how to how to use anybody that that was left by uh, Willie Fritz. It, it just seemed like they had never they didn't understand what the option was, how to best utilize the talent they had, or or anything. So. It was just a, it was a mess from beginning to end, basically. Yeah, that we could get into that Chris Hatcher hire. That was a weird hire as well. I'm sure, he worked under Hal Mummy at Kentucky. He's air raid disciple. Last I heard, I believe he was still the FCS head coach at Murray State in Kentucky. So it seems like in the past, Georgia Southern's administration has kind of wanted to go off the rails, get as far away from the option as they can, and it's kind of failed each time. So when Summers came in. 
did he say he wanted to run the option and was going to? And if so, why do you think he decided against that offense? He said in his opening press conference that he had planned on running, quote-unquote, from him, gun option, which everybody took to mean exactly what they had run the year before, which or the two years before, which you know was very successful. Obviously, Willie Fritz compiled all these wins, won a Sunbelt title, won a bowl game. So everybody's, everybody's on board. Everything's looking good. I don't think they abandoned it. I just don't think they knew how to properly run it. Like, the blocking schemes were all wrong for, for the offense they were trying. They, they started recruiting, like, you're running a, this spread option that's supposed to be fast and move quickly and, and, you know, everybody gets to the line and does all the stuff. Their recruiting doesn't make any sense. They're recruiting, like, these giant offensive linemen that, like, aren't that mobile. So like I don't even think they properly knew how to run it. So I don't I don't think it was so much that they just decided not to. I just don't think that they could they knew how to do it correctly. Well, now that Summers is entering year two, was there a revolt kind of in the fan base, or was there was there a thought that maybe that they would really get rid of him after last season was over? It was tough because the night after the Troy game, it was it was a mixed. It was kind of mixed. There were people like me who was who were like, "There's no way they get rid of him after one season." I mean, much as as much as you'd like to just wash your hands of the whole situation and be done with it and move on, there was no way after one season that buyout is super high. And I just don't think the school could like spring for that right now without like a special donor stepping in and, and handling it. But it, nobody nobody really stuck up for the guy. Nobody really wanted him back. And I know for a fact, I knew one donor who was super upset, like, after they released the statement that he he had been retained, like, was going after the tickets department being like, why should I renew for next year? Like, if we're just going into the next year with a lame duck coach, like, what's the point? So everybody was very, very upset. And I don't remember much of anybody sticking up for Summers and being like, hey, we ought to give this guy another shot. So it's very interesting. Uh, Kleinland must have known, you know, the backlash was coming. He just doesn't seem like a guy who, who cares all that much about whether people are happy or not with the fan base. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, in the article you posted over at Underdog Dynasty, go go if you haven't checked it out yet, be sure to do that. Um, basically wrapping up these coaches soon in the school. And I believe you mentioned in there the fact that the clock may be ticking on Kleinland. Is that something you're expecting to see here soon, is that the, the school goes a different way and hires a new athletic director? I think if this lawsuit comes out, and again, I don't, I don't understand how, how, he, how they could find a way without settling out of court to like get out of this. If this comes out that all this actually happened, they're you know, obviously guilty of all this stuff, I wouldn't be surprised if they just cut him loose. Because if this has been more of a headache than has been necessary. I think after this year, Summer's buyout goes way down. And so I wouldn't be surprised if, if this lawsuit came out that it was true, they cut him loose. So if Summers turns in another, you know, four and eight, five and seven season, they cut him loose too and then just start from start over from scratch. I mean, it's just, it's been bad from a PR perspective. It's been bad from a managing of, of coaches' situation. And, you know, ever since Fritz has left, everything's just everything's just gone downhill. Yeah, it's been a mess, and it's kind of been embarrassing over there. They, they kind of look like they couldn't line up correctly last year, and then they had this lawsuit come out. It looks like Summers has no idea what he's doing. But let's get down to 
this fall. Looking at their schedule, it's kind of a weird schedule. They play two off the bat, get a bye, go to Indiana, get a bye, and then play nine games in a row. If Brian Cook gets that offense going and that option starts humming again, what do you think the win number would be for Summers to keep his job? And if not, there's a theory I have that Cook may be kind of tried out for the job here. He's an option guy. He worked under Paul Johnson, who coached at Georgia Southern. And maybe they, if he if he runs this gun option and does it successfully, maybe they just get rid of Summers and promote Cook to uh, the head coach. What do you think about that? I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. I I have this scenario that I've been running by you know friends of mine that are also Georgia Southern fans, and I I I've called it my nightmare scenario. But if if Kleinland stays on, whatever happens with this lawsuit happens. If he stays on. Summers comes on, wins five games or six games or something like that next year. They retain him for a third season because he had had so much talent leave after last season that they make the excuse that, oh, well, it was a, it was a growing year for us, so we're just going to call it a wash and move on. I hope that doesn't happen, but I feel I'm getting more and more of the feeling that Summers would have to have to turn in like a really poor season in order to be let go at this point. Kleinlein seems to see Summers as like his guy. So I would probably say if he turns in a three or four win year year next year, I could see him being cut loose, maybe. But if it's over if it's five wins or more, I wouldn't be surprised if he was retained another year if Kleinlein's still on staff. Okay. So basically you think if they get to five and seven again, it's gonna be year three of Tyson Summers. Yeah, when I was writing my recap of last season they they lost 24 players from last year's team. So they're other than the defensive back, I believe, and running back positions, they're completely starting from scratch as far as breaking in new starters and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. So so I wouldn't be surprised if they turned around and said that this was a building year and whatever PR spin you want to put on it. But I wouldn't be surprised if he was retained if Kleinlein's still there next year. We're heading into media days. It'll coming up here in about a week. Summers is obviously going to be there. Do you think he's going to address any questions on this lawsuit? And what do you think he's going to tell um, everybody there about Tumultuous first year and what they're going to try to do this second season? Well, if if you if you listen to him from last year and if he carries that over, it's going to be a lot of coach speak and a lot of nothing of actual substance. It's going to be a lot of, oh, well, we were hoping to run the ball better, or, hey, we're just looking to make more plays than the other team. Because those were the kind of answers he was giving after games last year. And a lot it was, it was making a lot of people angry. Because it's one thing, like I said, if you're winning nine games and you're doing that, fine, you, you can live with it, you know, whatever. You lose three games, it happens. If you're going five and seven, it makes it seem like you have no idea how to run a football team. I'm going to be very interested to see what he says, and I don't think he's going to address the the lawsuit in any way. I don't even know. I don't even know if people are going to ask him about it because I don't think they would. Anybody would expect to get a straight answer out of him about it. But I'm I'm interested to see what he says. I'm interested to see if he's turned over a new leaf at all or if he's changed. But you never know with him. You never know with Kleinline. I would hope they at least ask Summers about that lawsuit just at least they can get at least get the no comment generic answer out of him but uh, we'll, Absolutely. Yeah. We'll, we'll move on here we'll get into the Sunbelt media days I had a piece over at Underdog Dynasty came out about a week ago kind of priming everybody for for the for the event down there in New Orleans at the Superdome so basically I'm just going to go through some things here and kind of bounce them off you Brian you can let me know what you think about them 
But um, Arkansas State, they're not bringing Javon Roland Jones, the player of the year in the conference last year. This is coaches do it all across the country. They have best players in the conference or potential guys that are going to make a lot of noise next year, maybe even be a high draft pick. And they're the ones people are wanting to talk to at the media days, and they're not there. It's just it really disappoints me when you see coaches do that. You would always like to hear from from a standout player, you know, what their thoughts are on the upcoming year. You know, even if even if that player is going to say, you know, well, I think we're going to be really good, or you know, something like that. You you always like to hear from them. It's a little disappointing to to hear that he's not going to be there and he's not going to be able to, you know, field a couple questions of his own. Out of all the Sunbelt players this year, this is the one guy I believe that might have a legit shot at maybe making an All-American team. He had 13-and-a-half sacks last year, and he's 13-and-a-half away from tying Terrell Suggs' all-time NCAA sacks record. So, I mean, that's something special they have there in Jonesboro and Javon Rollin Jones, and not bringing him to this event where he could, you know, kind of get some publicity, which is hard to get playing in the Sun Belt, kind of seems silly to me. Yeah, you would think, like I said, you know, you would think you would want maybe the conference best player there, but... You know, that's just me. That's 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 kind of what I would do if I was the head right. coach. I don't know. And then Coastal Carolina. I'm excited to hear uh, Joe Moglia talk. Last year at Media Days, really came off very well. Was really friendly and interactive with the media. Definitely going to be somebody to keep an, an out for while you're watching the events. Yeah, I'm very interested to see, you know, what he says. and, and But I'm interested to see how they how they shake out this year they have kind of a tough schedule ahead and and you know it takes it usually takes a year or two to get your your recruiting legs under you and getting used to having that many scholarships to fill and all that kind of stuff so it's gonna be interesting to see what he says but I like you know Coastal Carolina I think they're I think they're building a solid program they've only been around since 2003 and now they have Jamie Chadwell in is there there people say he's the head coach in waiting there so if he's as good at Coast Carolina as he was at Charleston Southern they might have something special at least on offense yeah that was a brilliant hire I wouldn't be surprised if they say something because I know I, I feel like that's not a big secret I believe Mowgli is 68 years old so he's not going to be coaching for too much longer this would be the kind of event to say that you know where Chadwell is going to be is our head coach in waiting or maybe kind of mention that because that's when people are going to be actually paying attention I'm not expecting much from the Chanticleers this year they're they're switching to that offense and I don't believe they really have the personnel that Chadwell needs to run that and they kind of have a brutal schedule so I think it's going to be a while before we see uh, Coastal really really be competitive in the league yeah, you know, when, when George Southern and App State entered, it was kind of a perfect storm for them because they had had, you know, so much success at the FCS level and they had, you know, all this history to build off of. So they had they had things to pitch new recruits who were kind of taking a new look at them since they were went from FCS to FBS. Coast Carolina, it's probably going to be one of those situations where it takes a couple of years for them to get their recruiting and, and implement people into that new offense. So I'm interested to see how it works out for them. And then we got another team that hasn't been in FBS too long, a team that Georgia Southern fans are familiar with. Georgia State, Sean Elliott comes over from South Carolina. He's a head coach. Since his introductory press conference, this is his first big press conference since then. And I'll be looking forward to hear what they say. They've been having some you know, good success on the recruiting trail lately. And, of course, they're renovating Turner Field into Georgia State Stadium. So I think he'll be one of the more interesting guys to listen to this next at media days because of all that's going on around that program right now yeah i was so i grew up before i went to georgia southern and became you know an eagles fan i grew up a south carolina fan so i i still follow them on and off 
I was really disappointed when Spurrier stepped down, Elliott steps up and becomes the interim. They immediately lose to Citadel, and I, I just, I thought that was the biggest slap in the face as far as, as far as football went. Because even, even if that that team isn't as talented as you know South Carolina teams in the past, you don't have Jadavian Clowney or you know Marcus Lattimore. Still, you should have more talent and enough sense to beat the Citadel. Because Georgia, I mean Georgia Southern was was scheduling the Citadel and and just crushing them. So like, if you're South Carolina. You know, it's an interesting hire. I'm I'm interested to see how he works out as a full-time head coach. Obviously, he's kind of behind the eight ball with the interim tag. I'm I'm interested to see how they look in his first year and his first run as a as a new head coach. Hey man, I'm right there with you. I've said that I I've mentioned it in my last podcast. I said the same thing about we need to pump the brakes on Elliott. Now South Carolina did play a lot of close games that year. I remember they went to Tennessee. Kind of had them on the ropes. Really, that team was all Pharaoh Cooper, if I remember correctly. Really didn't have a quarterback. All they really had was Cooper outside to throw the ball to. But the only win they got under Elliott, I believe he was one and five as an interim, was against a two and ten Vandy team that went zero and eight in the conference. A Vandy team that got beat by Western, I believe, on opening day, and a Vandy team that played like five or six quarterbacks and was really just horrid. So I mean, he really hasn't even got a good win under his belt yet. And we'll get into this in a minute, but I think I think maybe too many people are, are drinking this Georgia State Kool Aid. I think they, you know, I don't think I don't see them getting the ball this year. You know, even even if you know South Carolina didn't put together its best roster or whatever that year, with that amount of talent, again, you're playing an FCS team. You you have no excuse, and the one win is against Vandy. Vandy's obviously more academics than footballs. I mean, that's not an impressive resume coming in uh, as a first-year head coach for Georgia State. Yeah, and that's still the Georgia State program. It's still trying to build its culture. It's still trying to learn how to win. So when you bring in Elliott, I think I think he's going to take his lumps early. But if he keeps recruiting, I think he can get it right and they can start building something there in Atlanta. Yeah, absolutely. And then we'll go on. Really, let's just get into Troy the Trojans really could be heading into a special year. This offense is absolutely stacked. I think it has a shot to be the best group of five offense if some things go right for them. And I believe their defense has some key pieces that will you know, help them really just force turnovers and put pressure on teams about and to go back out and stop an explosive offense. So what do you, what do you think about the Trojans and heading into 2017? I'm not trying to toot my team's own horn but they need to beat Georgia Southern at some point. I, I feel like th- last year, you know, I, I did not expect Troy to to lose to Georgia Southern. I wrote my entire Georgia Southern Troy preview with if you're if you're a betting person, take the points with Troy. There, you know, Georgia Southern's been horrid all year. Every every time they play Georgia Southern, Georgia Southern perks up, whether they're a nine and three team or a four and seven team coming in. So that's really going to be a hurdle for them to overcome. I don't think they've – I'm pretty sure they haven't beaten Georgia Southern since they entered the conference. So with that game, you know, scheduled like smack dab in the middle of the year and then you've got games coming up after that, I just – I want to see them win a game against the Eagles before, you know, I feel comfortable penciling them in conference championship. Yeah, they haven't uh, done that yet. They got smoked the first two years in the league by Southern, and then last year, of course, they went in as a touchdown favorite and got beat there in Statesboro. It's going to be definitely an interesting year for Troy. If they do some of the things they're capable of, Neil Brown might not be a Sunbelt coach for very long. 
Yeah, absolutely. I was I was wondering last year when some of those openings were coming up why he wasn't being more discussed, but I don't know. It's it's the same thing with Blake Anderson at Arkansas State. We we just mentioned it. You know, there's really no good reason why his name doesn't get tossed around more, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Anderson I'm not, not making decisions for these D1 Power Five schools. Yeah, Anderson and Satterfield's a big one for me. All they've done is really dominate this conference since they've been here. It seems like none, none of the Power Five schools sniff around them when it comes when they're looking for coaches. So them holding on to the, those two for as long as they have has been really great for those individual programs. Well, Satterfield's kind of a perfect fit for App State because he's an alum and all that kind of stuff. So he might be looking to you know coach there you know for the rest of his career. It's a it's a perfect storm to have a guy that came from App State. And then he goes back and coaches, and I mean, unless someone comes to him with huge offer, like you know Texas or a Florida or something, and I know they wouldn't, but you know, without him being proven, unless, I feel like unless someone comes to him with a Godfather offer to coach their team, he's just going to turn it down and go back to App State. Yeah, with Satterfield, I wonder if one of the big schools in North Carolina, like I know if NC State, uh, Dave Dorn was kind of on the hot seat last year, and he got off of it. Uh, because they beat North Carolina last game, or if Larry Fedora took maybe a Texas A&M job this offseason, if one of those big schools in North Carolina came for him, how much, I would wonder just how much interest he'd have in that job. I mean, obviously he's, he's done great things in App State, but what else can you really accomplish there? I mean, he's kind of it's just a plateau right now for him. I'd be interested too. I'd, I'd be interested to, to get a real answer out of him, what kind of offer – like money and job wise, he would have to have have to be offered in order to leave. That would be very interesting for me to to hear actually come out of his mouth. What kind of job he would need to to leave at Boone? Yeah, and we'll get as we go on. One of the other things we do at Media Days is kind of predict the order of finish. So I was just going to go over that here with Brian. Looking at App State, I think they're going to be the easy pick as the number one probably. A finisher. And when you look at the Mountaineer schedule, outside of that Georgia opener, it's a legitimate chance that they could run the table, go eleven and one. The other Power Five team they get is Wake Forest at home, and then the, they don't play either Troy or Arkansas State. The other two teams that are expected to be real contenders in the Sun Belt, so it could be a special year there in Boone. It's definitely a possibility. Everything's shaken out for them as far as roster wise, schedule wise. One of the things that and I read, you know, kind of your story about what Kirby Smart, George's head coach, has said about, you know, Sunbelt teams. That he's obviously wary of, of playing a school like App State because obviously App State has the history, you know, with beating Michigan and everything. Yeah, I think it could be a really special year for them. And I think there's a there's a solid chance. I mean, they run the table unless, unless you know, I think the only team that's going to beat them is themselves. And they're, the way they play, they usually don't beat themselves. Yeah, um, they got a senior quarterback in Lamb who's not flashy, but he just you know does makes right the right decisions and puts them in good situations. That's why I, I, it's just going to be hard for me to see them losing a Sun Belt game with that schedule unless you know the injury bug really hits. And the injury bug, honestly, I feel like doesn't really hit them all that often. So they usually get pretty pretty lucky with injuries and stuff like that. So. This could be, you know, the perfect storm for them to to win, you know, the outright Sun Belt title for the first time. And really, when I'm breaking down, or when I have broken down this conference, it's really three tiers for me. The first tier is App State, Arkansas State, and Troy. 
I think you can make the case for any of those three to be in that top spot. Obviously, App State, because they're the most well-rounded of the of the three teams, and the schedule breaks down the easiest for them. And then, of course, Arkansas State plays host Troy last game of the season. But then when then there's a third, second and third tier. That third tier, I have Texas State and Coastal Carolina kind of at the bottom. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like they're going to be kind of fighting out for last place this season. We talked about Coastal already, bringing in new quarter, coordinator Chad Will just into a new style of play. They lost a lot of seniors off of last year's team. It's going to be a rough year there in Conway. And then Texas State, they're improving a little, but it's not going to be that much improvement. I think they'll break their Sunbelt Conference losing streak. But I still think it's going to be an ugly year there for the Bobcats. But then 4 through 10, you've got South Alabama, New Mexico State, Georgia Southern, Louisiana Lafayette, Idaho, and then Georgia State and ULM. I, I could see all those teams finishing anywhere in that range. Yeah, they, they could really fall into any any order. And and that's the and I'm not I'm not, you know, get it joking around. Georgia Southern could end up in your first tier or your third tier. And that's that's the way this season could possibly go. So I wouldn't be shocked to see any of those teams make the leap to the higher to from you know, like a tier two to a tier one. I think those three have to be your outright favorites as, as far as looking at preseason stuff goes. For me, I think you're gonna see them I'm really interested to see how the voting shakes out. I have a pretty good feeling it's going to be App State 1 and then either Troy or Arkansas State at 2 or 3. 4 through 10, I have really no idea how they're going to shake out that voting. All those teams have have a few bright, bright spots, but they also all those teams have a lot of warts. So how they're going to you know organize those, and those teams that probably finish 4th and 5th and 6th are going to be fighting for those final bowl spots uh, for the conference. And whatever whatever order they come out in, I probably would just agree with it. <laughs> right. I feel I feel more comfortable just agreeing with people who who do this stuff for you know a living versus versus me just you know giving my input on well that team's not six they're eight or you know nitpicking and stuff like that. For me, when I do these first, we had that positional series and I ranked them by position. And for that, I had. Louisiana Lafayette fourth, South Alabama fifth, Idaho six, Georgia Southern seven, New Mexico State eight, nine Georgia State, ten ULM. But then I kind of play out the schedules and predict each team's win and loss. And when I did that, pretty much similar. I had the Cajuns coming in fourth again, but I actually had Georgia Southern making a jump to fifth, South Alabama slide down a spot to six, Idaho sliding down a spot, ULM jumping up two spots, and then Georgia State and New Mexico State finishing 9-10, and 10. but a team I think is intriguing is that New Mexico State team because they really have some offensive weapons, and if that defense can just improve, get to the middle of a conference, they could be somebody that makes a, makes a run. Yeah, and, you know, obviously the, them and Idaho were, you know, playing their last seasons at the, at the FBS level. Anything can happen with them. I, you know, since Georgia Southern's been in, when I've really started paying attention to the Sun Belt, they haven't really done a whole lot. It being their last season at the FBS level, I mean, you know, they could put it all out there, try to take any chance they could get to, to kind of boost their standing. So, I, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked seeing them finish anywhere from fifth to ninth, you know, yeah. from, a, from, from that level, because I feel like those teams could finish in any order, and I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, for the whole that, that whole group of teams, it's really going to come down to me, since they're so close together that they can finish either way, it's going to come down quarterback play and health. Can't, who's can stay off 
you know, stay, keep their players out of the training room and who can get the best quarterback play. And then again, in a league like the Sun Belt with all these these unbalanced schedules, you never know how it's going to shake out and who's really going to be better than the fourth team could really not be better than the seventh team. They could have just had an easier schedule. Yeah, absolutely. And so anyway, Sun Belt's going to divisions next year. Uh, what did you think about that, Brian? And uh, do you think it's going to be make a better product now that we'll have a championship game here in the Sun Belt? I like the prospect of a championship game. One of the big complaints from Arkansas State fans when George Southern won the conference outright in 2014 was obviously we didn't play each other. I I do like the prospect of being able to watch the two best teams play one another, and that way there's no confusion as to, well, you know, if we would have scheduled this team in this year, well, we would have been the conference champions. I, I like the prospect of there not being any any excuses or, you know, reasons. You know, reasons from fans as to, oh, well, this team should have been this champion because of this or, you know, anything like that. So, I, you know, more more football is always good with me. So um, I like the move to divisions, and I like the fact that there's going to be a championship game. Okay, yeah, I like it too. I think having the, your conference's best play on that weekend is nothing but good for the league. Down to ten teams, they could do a round-robin of nine games and have a true champion. But I understand for this league, financial-wise, having that extra game to schedule an FBS team and collect a paycheck is big to help fund the program. So I totally understand it. And I'm excited to see conference championship game when it starts happening so we can you know, pretty much have a one champion and not have, like you said, fan bases bickering back and forth about, oh, you didn't play my team or whatnot. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm all for, and this was one of the big things when the BCS got tossed out and we got the 14 playoff in, in you know, Power 5 football is there's a lot less you know, whining and stuff from different fan bases because generally we do have the four best teams. So the fact that, you know, these teams will get to play division schedule and that'll all shake out and then we'll get, you know, east and west in the in the conference championship game, I think it could be nothing but good for the Sun Belt as a whole. Right. So, anyway, we'll move on from there. I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit, Brian. I'm going to make okay. you give me the, your prediction for the champ, your prediction for player of the year, and your prediction for coach of the year. I have App winning the conference, um, which which isn't a huge surprise considering how much we just we just talked about him. I just feel like they're they're so well rounded, and like we said, the the schedule shakes out so well for them with with them not having to play Arkansas State or Troy, which are the two kind of the two big threats to them. As far as coach of the year, Satterfield, if you know if they if they outright win the conference for the first time, I feel like he's the you know logical choice there. And then Rollins Jones, I believe, will repeat as conference player of the year. I feel like he's just so good and has a chance to be drafted pretty high in the NFL when it comes time. I just I wouldn't be surprised if if those three ended up with the you know all the awards by the end of the year. Well, for me, I I just think it's setting up to be a special year there for Troy. I have them running the table, and I think somewhere along the way, App State is going to trip up. I think that maybe that injury bug finally bites them and they lose a game or two. So I would have the Trojans winning the Sun Belt, and then I would have Neil Brown taking home Coach of the Year honors. But then for Player of the Year, it wouldn't be a total sweep by Troy. I think New Mexico State's a team that could surprise some some programs this fall. And to do that, they're really going to need a huge year out of Larry Rose. 
they have enough balance on offense. The offensive line is going to be better. Their defense is going to be better, which is going to put them in more rushing situations. I think he's going to have a real chance at 2,000 yards, and I think he's going to bring home a Sunbelt Player of the Year honors. I mean, I could see all that happening. That that wouldn't shock me. I just I feel like the stars have basically aligned for App State to, to you know, like you said, run the table, not have to play the other two big schools in the conference. And like I said, I, whichever team wins the, the conference overall, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they just gave it coach of the year to that that team's coach oh without a doubt without a doubt brian we never know what's going to happen in the fun belt but we know it's going to be a wild ride thanks for joining me my man we'll have to do this again oh yeah absolutely all right everybody uh brian let the people know where to follow you on twitter if they're not already i'm at watch the stone i got the idea from the watch the throne album obviously yeah, you can follow me there, or uh, my writings uh, will become obviously more frequent when the season approaches. I'll be getting out, you know, my Georgia Southern preview, written-wise, and kind of break down what their positions look like. But it's a lot of, it's like what we said, it's a lot of unknowns. So I'm very interested to see how the season shakes out for them. Absolutely, that sounds great, Brian. Would recommend everybody listening to go out and check out uh, some of Brian's stuff. He does a really good job covering the Eagles for our site. And for me, you can follow. Me and Adam look at BOS. Make sure you're on the lookout as a underdog dynasty. We'll have our own panel releasing our uh, Sunbelt and second team from uh, from the guys that, that work at our site. And then we'll also have predictions for the champ, coach of the year, and player of the year. So, again, thanks for listening. And this is going to be a weekly post, hopefully. So, hopefully you have once a week leading us up into this season. Enjoy your day, everybody, and have a good one.